This is the Convergent Science Network podcast. Leading researchers in the domain of neuroscience, brain theory and technology are interviewed by Paul Verschur and Tony Prescott. Paul Verschur here with the Convergent Science Network podcast together with my colleague uh, Tony Prescott. And um, we're speaking now with Christine Icardi. Yes. Who, now welcome to the podcast, Christine. Thank you. Um, and Christine, you spoke this morning about, if you want, uh, responsible research, right? And responsible innovation. So, so how would you define responsible research and innovation? Um, there are many definitions out there and they don't all align. Um, if I stick to the ones that, uh, the one that we have been uh, trying to uh, follow in the Human Brain Project, uh, we are using the one proposed by the um, Engineering and Physical Research Science Council. No. Yeah. Yeah. Engineering Physical Science Research yeah. Council. Yeah, I, never, yeah. I always get that as well. Uh, in the United Kingdom, which is uh, more process-oriented uh, in that uh, it proposed to anticipate, um, um, reflect, engage, act, kind of area framework, where you are um, trying, when you're looking at um, an innovation process and um, new technology, to uh, anticipate on the potential implications for society that uh, this a particular technology could lead to, um, that you analyze it and reflect on it, uh, and reflect on it with the scientists themselves um, by bringing in as many perspectives as you can to bear on the topic. Trying really to widen uh, your inquiry to um, try to understand how this kind of narrow technological or scientific development can uh, could pan out in society based on uh, political economic social drivers out there um, the engagement part uh, is part with the scientists part with like seeking all those kind of complementary uh, expert or opinion uh, on um, key um, key sticky points you are going to identify while you are doing this kind of uh, horizon scanning um, and then the act part which is uh, like I said this morning the hard bit uh, closing uh, the uh, the loop between anticipation and acting, which is getting back to the scientists uh, with uh, not necessarily normative frameworks <laughs> or ethical frameworks uh, belonging to any kind of schools, but uh, with um, a bucket full of um, of fine, for the, the school of social I come from, more empirical findings that are going to be things to bear in mind that matter. Um, to think of uh, when you are um, going on about your research and uh, and acting uh, accordingly um, which for me is sort of dissociating between when you come into hard problems hard ethical problems uh, you are hardly ever going to resolve them on your own otherwise they are not that big but 
you can try to disentangle um, how much belongs to a policy layer and that's a certain kinds of action with certain kinds of actors that can target the policy level. Um, how much of it uh, is about uh, eventually doing some, I would say, bad word, uh, lobbying, but uh, really uh, interacting with um, constituencies, um, civil society groups, different kinds of stakeholders and make them aware of certain things you have found. And then the level of really, uh, for me, the one of the most interesting things for me as a researcher is going back to the level of the researcher themselves. So really uh, the level of the professional activity and the self-regulation of the professions. Because usually this is what uh, the, the, the researchers are at the cutting edge, they are at, at, at the forefront. And uh, they, they are also at the forefront um, of, uh, of a governance that is always lagging behind. So for me, this is a very important layer to try and address to various <coughs> visits. So I think the, the area um, framework is kind of uh, targeting sort of researchers uh, uh, themselves to think about uh, what they're doing, why they're doing it and so on. If we take... Um, sort of larger scale projects like the uh, Human Brain Project. Um, at what point do you think sort of this sort of push for individual action for um, researchers to take more responsibility for what they're doing? At what point do you, do you need to complement that with uh, at the level of the project, some integrated approach to research governance that ensures delivery of the framework? Um, it's actually in the act part because this is for instance what we saw when we because the, the very first thing we tackled uh, as the ethics and society program of the human brain project was the question of data protection and privacy because it was a kind of burning issue uh, in view of the, uh, the, the plans the research plans of the medical informatics platforms and then became apparent that it was not just the medical informatics platform but there was a lot of um, potential uh, sticky point with um, uh, animal data with human data uh, and there was a need to sort of uh, coordinate uh, an entire governance strategy across the projects and that's at this point that we sort of stepped up uh, beyond the level of the, the individual researchers to also um, to advocate for instance for the creation of a job of um, data protection officer which was basically not something that uh, the ethics and society subproject could decide yeah. on their own, but was something that needed uh, the approval of the, uh, well, first of the um, science and infrastructure board of the project, of the directorate, and eventually of the European Commission to accept that such a job was going to be created for the project yeah. and take up some of the funds uh, of the coordination. So uh, I would say that's, that, that's some of the actions you can take. But um, one of the things I said this morning as well is that uh, one of the, the main issue with this kind of projects is that when you find those kind of, uh, uh, you identify uh, those, um, the things that would need action at a kind of higher policy level, so policy makers yeah. or other constituency. Um, because a responsible research and innovation or whatever you want to call it is implemented at project level, it's sort of, I would say to be really, for me to get teeth and be, become uh, really uh, effective, uh, it should be at the level of entire research programs and actually funders themselves 
should be submitted to responsible research and innovation practices when they define research programs, funding strands, etc. Because once once the, um, the European Commission or uh, the Research Council UK have decided that they are going to fund a number of particular strands of research and they are going to push for a certain way of approaching, for instance, science within for uh, society, etc., etc. Part of the frame is already set. So, uh, and you, we are not asked as people trying to implement responsible research and innovation practices and to foster them to question the way into these research programs have been framed into this project where these projects are, fit, are, are fitting and there is definitely uh, for me uh, a need to eventually go one step up and for research councils and funders themselves to accept that um, they should themselves uh, include this kind of uh, reflective approaches in, in what they are doing uh, so I mean it, it, it's a it sounds to me that you're advocating something a bit more radical than maybe what has been implemented so far, um, because uh, the the uh, in terms of data management, for instance, in, in a way that's a continuity with what has been traditionally seen as reach ethics around sort of human participants, uh, use of animals. Uh, data management is a consequence of all this data we're now collecting and concerns about privacy. But the um, response to an innovation idea is, is uh, as you say, it's, it's anticipate. So there is something more proactive about RRI than is perhaps captured by these steps to, towards extending traditional ethics, if you like. Uh, yes, and since it's, mean, it's meant to be proactive and to anticipate, if you are entering something where a certain frame has already been, de been defined and is already guiding research in many ways, and that this frame is not to be questioned, somehow um, this can get in the way of y y the way you anticipate and the way you, you can deploy um, actions is already constrained by, uh, by this pre-existing frame of... Uh, of um, usually the research funders or the policy makers. So, but if I understand you correctly, your the model you're advocating is very much one of collective reflection and consensus. If I get it right, so if you, the most important aspect of responsible research, in other words, ethical research, is that all the participants, all the stakeholders, commonly reflect on the process of research. Is mm. that correct? Would that be a, a that, 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 that's right. Uh, whether there is a consensus coming out of it is secondary, but it would be the goal to sort of at least would exchange views. Would uh, be the goal. Okay. Uh, and uh, whether and sometimes I don't think you can always reach consensus. Mm -hmm. the, the, the idea that um, that that's one of the, uh, the things that is very uh, present in the way responsible research and innovation is deployed is that by this kind of participatory engagement you reach consensus uh, you don't always reach consensus and sometimes people just uh, get antagonistic and there is n and and then there are that's you don't have mechanisms to resolve the disputes but now if, if reflection then is the the core value right of the of ethical research, uh, at best, it's a necessary condition, right? Because 
we can reflect collectively a lot and we can all agree to build the world's most devastating poison gas <laughs> because that's what we believe needs to be done, mm. which from the outside might look like a rather unethical decision. Right? So, so how then is reflection actually of operational value? Because you know, in science, when we deal with questions of if you want truth in some sense, now we have the orthogonal perspective of, of right and wrong. And also scientists, of course, in the end have to make those decisions. Like, can I perform this animal, uh, this experiment on this animal? Is the payoff sufficiently justified to induce this kind of suffering? Or should I take an alternative approach? Like these are the very concrete mm. decisions that a scientist mm. faces in which they need guidance, right? So how does the reflection, if that's our core value, with its own limitations, as mm. I just sketched, then help us as, as scientists to make better and, and more ethical decisions in how we pursue science? Um, I would say um, this kind of, for me, this the diver diversity of views in, 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 in being included in, in, in participation um, mechanisms might not necessarily aim for consensus and but i think that but as many views are, as possible are always more valuable than thinking on your own and in the case of for instance animal experimentations and on deciding i think you are doing this research with one particular aim in mind but then um, it might be interesting to bring into the process if an outcome is towards um, eventually doing some new medications or some new treatments or I don't know what, to bring in the views of the patient groups that might be implicated. Um, I won't say animal activists because <laughs> you are going to know exactly what they are going to say. But... Um, In the end, I would say we can, I, I do believe that scientists are sort of uh, most of the time behaving, ref, you know, they think about what they do. Sometimes they are, they get too narrowly focused, which is why I, I really advocate for getting more views into the process because sometimes it can trigger other ways of seeing things but ultimately it's going to be the scientists themselves um, with the help of their research ethics board deciding whether they go for some kind of experimentation or not so you, what yeah. we do what we what, what we are doing what we have been doing for instance uh, in this kind of uh, the particular case in the human brain project of um, data protection and all the data governance things well but that's another issue right i, I understand that but I, we also setting up ethical checklist where people can go through and go through the branches yeah, but for me that's a different discussion because there we also face um, new regulation by the european commission that's new. on management of of personal data which of course is very much driving that change so i don't see that that's necessarily a good example if you look at responsible research right it's a bit a different mm. topic for me and, and what i was trying to get at, and also you, you said it now in some sense the fundamental premise of your approach is that in the end humans know what is good 
that's what you're saying, right? Scientists in the end will 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 know what is good because they will think about what they do. That, that seems a very strong assumption. Huh? It's my. I I mean, I mean, they know what they want to do. That's different. I d and and um, and I don't think they all want to do things that I think personally are good. But good and bad is very subjective. But also people are put in, in cultural situations so where it makes it difficult to act. It makes very difficult to... The way that it is difficult doesn't mean we shouldn't try to address it. Right? So that's why I gave you the, an example where I say, well, as a researcher, you must make ethical decisions on are the expected results worth the suffering of this animal, as an example. Right? It's a very concrete situation. It's a very concrete situation. And that's where people need guidance. And then, so, so how, how would you go about providing that kind of guidance from a responsible research uh, perspective? It's really trying to to exactly evaluate what are the, the expected benefits and and um, and the expected, you know. Um, I mean. So then you would say. Depending on the people you are going to talk to. No, no outcome is good enough to be worth an animal's life. No outcome. If it saves the for whole some people, for, for some, some people, no, no, okay. for some people. So that, that's what I mean. You know, right and wrong is very, is very subjective and depending on culture and on, on cultural and beliefs. For some people, no, very little is going to be so. But it doesn't solve. It's it's not problem. going to solve your problem. No. It's just going to give you uh, to help you get as many cards in your hands as possible about what are the benefits, what are the downsides, and so on and so forth. And uh, eventually, to give you um, an ethical training into thinking whether you're more, uh, you know, you you buy into consequentialist ethics or virtue ethics or duty ethics. But as you know, ethicists from this different school tend to kill each other over the, you know, and don't say I. So you can't even go to ethicists and ask them what exactly. they would do. Mm -hmm. So. In the end, it falls onto your your. your well, this so is exactly where I want to get to, right? But is, are you getting too much at the personal ethics? Because, you know, it's um, and I accept that the area uh, framework maybe speaks to the personal ethical uh, stance of researchers. But, but the the challenge we really have is that we have a culture of science which puts people in a double bind situation where you know having a job being able to support themselves and their families puts them in a situation of having to do things which they may be ethically uncomfortable with and so what you want to do is create a research culture that doesn't create the situation for people so uh, it has to be at the level of the organization that well, that that, that you well no it's it it's uh, you can't avoid these clashes entirely, but you can certainly, if you apply the area framework at the uh, organizational level, then you should be able to create a culture no, which what, is different. So, so the point is, I think, it, so what I was trying to get at, as we saw earlier, right, the, the core value of responsible research, as we now discussed it, was a reflection, right? And also we've seen that in reports to the European Commission. Yeah, right? yeah. And I was just saying... In the Wednesday conference, there was a lot of reflection on the final solution. So obviously, reflection as such is not enough. We have to insert 
certain priors into that discussion. This might be uh, human rights considerations. This might be one angle you can take, right? It might be more ideological, political, religious considerations, but there must be additional priors you insert in that debate, even though it's difficult. And that's the whole point, because it's difficult to want to deal with it, right? The John F. Kennedy, remember? We go to the moon because it's difficult. So this is, we kind of run away from it and just you know, wave our hands and then diffuse responsibility, say, oh, there's so many opinions in the room, we don't know what to do. No, the real problems are there. And, and so we must be willing to actually debate on fun foundational grounds these fundamental challenges. And it also means that within research projects, we must have frameworks that define what's right and what is wrong. Otherwise, we're just wasting our time and running around in circles. So I'm saying reflection as your core value is not enough, as history has shown. Mm -hmm. We must go beyond that. And I don't give you an answer to what that should be, but I'm saying that's a debate we must have as responsible citizens and as responsible scientists. And don't, I don't hear enough about that from ethics. And ethicists hear a lot about the precautionary principle. Well, yeah. let's see what happens. That's not good enough anymore because we can have runaway technology, the repercussions of which are irreversible. So we must have a much more proactive stance. That's what I'm arguing for. So I just wanted to, 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 to fill out that, mm -hmm. that domain, to say, great, I understand, mm -hmm. but I feel it's not enough. And I feel we're losing, we're losing the game if we insist on this, on this, on this wait and see, and let's give everybody a voice in the process approach, I think from from an operational perspective, it has no value. You can effectively, if you collectively, you can end up involving, you know, that's a problem of participatory democracy and all this kind of. It's, it's difficult to take decisions. Um, what I find uh, that's where I sort of sort of uh, align with what you say is that I agree that the area framework is a lot about uh, personal responsibility and thinking about your own work. But I think that um, when analyzed properly, it's all this process for me, and that, that's why I say it's, it's a shame it's only, only implemented at project level, is that it also helps disentangling where it's really something an individual scientist or lab head can take a decision about being reasonably informed. But there are these kind of double-bind situations or impossible decisions to make where it's not at the, it should not be at the individual level and where collective mechanisms do not exist and policy is lagging and 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 so that's where i mean uh, we've seen it in the human brain project a lot is that you see things that should be done at a higher level than the project in the way for instance the project the, the, the project officers are um sort of running the project but we i mean we are we don't have this mechanism by which we can go back one step up on uh saying you know uh, this is an, an unacceptable way and actually an irresponsible way to run a project like for instance this is a project that runs mostly on uh, fixed-term contract researchers, postdocs, with uh, a few PIs. Uh, and we are now in the third phase of the Human Brain Project, and they've never managed to have continuity of funding between two phases. Mm. So 
that's a problem. Uh, and especially between the rampant phase and the SJ1, we had how many months? Six months between the two. Uh, and how responsible a way is that to run a scientific project? When people don't get the money to pay their postdocs, postdocs go away. And then, and I saw just the, the, the review letter that was finalized last week, the report letter saying, oh, it's like, um, so basically, um, the reviewers and the European Commission are wondering why, and it's sort of are sort of alarmed that you haven't managed to spend all your budget in SJ1. It's like, da. I mean, so many people couldn't recruit for months. And then when we got finally the money, you still have to recruit because people have gone. So when I say, yeah, there are levels at the individual level, but then there, we are lacking. Uh, so, I mean, I'm, I'm part of the guinea pigs who are, you know, sort of trying this kind of science within for society implementation horizon yeah, 2020. So what the implication, that's what Tony mentioned earlier, right? This is an important one. I really like your example. You say there's no responsible research without responsible governance, right? And, and all the stakeholders in the governance process must then be part of the responsible exactly. research process. This is also what you're yeah. saying, right? And so, 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 no, I would, but in some sense, this is always an incomplete model because we work in higher, there are hierarchies and somewhere the hierarchy is closed mm. and there is no more overview at that level, right? So, so this, that means that is also that's an approximation of how you might get to responsible research. And there is also the issue that there are so many um, powerful lobbies with a lot of money to pay for lobbying that are influencing at the commission level and that mm. um, we are not going, neither you nor I, going to be able to do. Uh, we, I mean, you can't, so we are in a very imperfect world. So. But we're, we're in the position where, you know, sort of a, a large amount of money uh, has been devolved to a group of scientists, essentially, to to uh, manage themselves and manage their research, which is uh, quite a, a privileged and in some mm. senses unanticipated situation. Mm. Uh, maybe sort of CERN and things have been in situations. And as Christine said, a yeah. big social experiment. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, and it, it seems to me that we do need to, as Paul said, uh, uh, think about different levels of which sort of uh, research, uh, um, responsible research can be considered. So there's the the sort of question of what are our values and how do we mm. you know, agree some, even not necessarily consensus, but we at least look at our values and, and try and see what, which ones we care about. There's the question of what are the risks? So there's, and um, we need to anticipate the risks short and long term. Mm. And then there's the question of how do we uh, have the right governance structures to ensure that we make decisions that are fitting with those values and address those risks. So, um, and it's, do we have the right mechanisms in a project like the HBP to do all those things? Is, are there people who are thinking about values and, and looking for the right values to guide what we're doing? Are there people who are anticipating the risks? I think there probably are, but maybe it, it there doesn't seem to me as an insider, I haven't seen that there's a framework that, that summarizes all this, is there one? Not really. Right. Uh, we, I mean, the problem is we, we have an entire framework that has become this kind of huge pipelines of uh, processes and standard operating procedures. And and one of, yeah, rightful critique you can address to the way all this is implemented is becoming a huge bureaucratic machinery. And in the process, you, you lose the view of the content. It becomes like 
and you know ethics application exercise where you tick the right boxes then now you start having those kind of there is a standard operating procedure and a kind of pipeline for everything but um, it doesn't treat it never says anything about uh, right or wrong it's if the process has been respected then the, you must accept the outcome and so it's been gar yeah I used to be an engineer so it's kind of garbage in garbage out for me so th there is something missing you can't just be happy saying if all the procedures in place and all the process has been respected then you have to accept the outcome yes. well this is a good example again because ethical values actually become especially important when your standard procedures don't work Right, when the standard procedures work, it means everything is, is as expected and there's apparently there are no real challenges. But ethical principles come in when you have trade offs, when you have conflicts, mm -hmm. right? So, so, this is where a whole procedural model can actually never solve that. Because exactly. different values have to come in and these mm -hmm. values must be defined in, in some way. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, what is terribly complicated is that um, there are so many uh, disciplinary fields uh, represented in the Human Brain Project that you. Even the professional ethics of those various fields don't align at all between themselves. So you talk, you talk to the people who come from a really the more uh, uh, informatics side, uh, say, I've never had to fill an, an ethics application in my entire career. Yeah. It's like, why would I start now? Yeah. But so there's two things here, right? So on the one hand, Human Brain Project is, is a social experiment in, in science funding and the science organization. But maybe for the discussion of on, on ethics and responsible research, it's just one example we can we can look it's at. It's one right? example. But there are many others, and it might not necessarily be the best example. Also, given the kind of problems it has faced, actually, that have a lot to do with ethics uh, from its inception to where it is now, right? So, so it, maybe it's also worth our while to to look a little bit. Um, as, the human brain, as just a test case, a use case we can analyze, mm. right? And I think an important issue is, of course, researchers come in all sorts of uh, flavors. And there will be on one extreme those that are in a project of that kind because it gives a resource. Mm. And for the rest, and this is also what some people report, it's a great project but it got my money, okay? On the other extreme, you have people who are in that project because there's a more and more ideological objective. Mm. But that, of course, also means if you want these groups to reflect collectively that, that, that the, the frames in which they look at that process are so radically different that it might be very difficult to make much progress. Because also if you look in, uh, at the discussion on free will, where as an individual we must be able to, to make our decision based on the notion of good and mm. evil or good and bad, there is a notion of reasonable responsiveness, right? So in free will, to be a moral decision maker we must be able to monitor our own decision making. Mm -hmm. We must be able to reflect on those decisions, but we must be able to also explicitly externalize them. We must be able to ex to point to the reasons behind what mm -hmm. we do, right? And so in that collective where you have so many different perspectives on one project, it might be very difficult to come to a reason responsive analysis because the, the reasons are very different and maybe more implicit in one case, very explicit in other cases, right? So wouldn't that argue that this idea of let's reflect is actually, in some sense, the best we can do in a very bad situation? It's the best we can do in the bad situation. And moreover, um, like you said this morning, the, the, the scenario I presented was extremely crude. 
but that's one of the few things like if we don't talk about this kind of practical questions we don't even want to interact with you because you are wasting our time mm -hmm. so you know so that's that's also part of um we we are there and for some people we are there in the human brain project in the same way that you are filling in an ethics application to get funding so we are there we get a bit of the money but further than that uh, we do the ethics compliance some people in among us do the compliance so the, with the police of things uh, if we can help with the science communication, which we don't really, this is not really our work. I mean, I'm not a PR person, but then good. Otherwise, take as little space as possible and just don't waste our time. So there is also this kind of ill will that is very hard uh, when there is already a lot of demand in a project which is so bureaucratized for all sorts of reporting and uh, deadlines and stuff. And you come back adding like, oh, let's think about ethics. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I don't have time. Mm -hmm. Right. There's another aspect. Probably <laughs> should wrap up because yeah, because Christine otherwise has I'm going to my plan. So maybe oh. maybe we could finish by, you know, the the Human Brain Project has been running for five years now. Yeah. Uh, the commission is about to launch into another round of flagships. They're going to fund some pilot studies for flagships in the next year. So w what lessons could you summarize from five years of HPP for this next round of flagships? What uh, should they for do me, this next is, um, I would say, don't integrate all humanities, arts and social science into those big scientific projects because that makes them uh, that frames them as, as being purely utilitarians and it's ne not necessarily helpful. Uh, I would also say um, the way they have been evaluating the large flagships is uh, very subjective because they are social experiments, but never at any point in these five years has there been any social scientist involved in these projects mandated to actually monitor these projects as social experiments. So whatever conclusions are drawn are not drawn based on um, field work and qualitative research within the projects. And uh, because it was all learned from the premise that uh, this is the right model to address the big challenges. And uh, like I said, when you are framed within a certain, this is a very constraining frame. So that's not, questionable uh, but it's sort of question because now they are they are sort of saying may we are we may be using a different smaller flagship blah blah and so on which means they are not entirely satisfied with the way it's happened but they haven't mandated any research to be done in the way it has happened so i would say a bit, bit more you know um, take all this a bit more seriously and actually accept that even your own premises are questions by whatever social science and humanities you inject into those large so and essays you inject into those large projects and yeah that's and another thing is um it's all well and nice to create uh work packages on sub or sub projects in charge of ethics and society to which all these questions are sort of delegated, but if you don't give them teeth to uh, actually go back to the to the to people who are not necessarily willing to um, 
interact and collaborate uh, and just like I'm not interested and I don't want to work with you um, I mean we are powerless so uh, we end up like being unable to just right. go back but to no, the so Christine, if I if I want to pursue responsible research what should be Christine's law that I For me, it's always been, uh, and that's that's my very partial judgment. I'm, I tend to be starkly critical of what I do and look back on it, and and I mean, don't spare yourself. What's been self-reflection is also about really trying to step out and look at what we are doing, as you know, do I have other motives than the ones I'm allowing myself to uh, make explicit to myself. Like know, know thyself, <laughs> Rebecca yeah. and Delphi, right? Yeah. So. And the, the second, that is, if you have to make a prediction that Tony will come and check in <laughs> London four years from now on the state of, of, of the art and, and responsible research, what specific prediction would you like to see validated in a four-year time frame? Just about by the end of the Human Brain Oof. Project. Right? By the end of the Human Brain Project. Uh, So far, all, so far, what we have seen validated is that <laughs> is all the negative stuff. Is that when we told the medical informatics people <laughs> at the beginning of the ramp up phase that if they went on the way they were going, ignoring uh, you know consent and saying we are all going to anonymize, they were, were going to face plant, and they sort of face plant. <laughs> so so that so that was <laughs> that's a retrodiction. <laughs> like, yeah, we told you so, mm -hmm. which is not exactly satisfying. So um, prediction now. Prediction about the human brain project. No, no about responsible research. Responsible right? research. Uh, I mean, uh, like utopian or Anything realistic? Anything I want. Tony will come and check it four years from now. Four years from now, uh, I think it will have changed names. <laughs> okay. <laughs> very good. Okay, Christina Cardi, thank you very much for this conversation. Very cool. The CSN podcast was produced by the Convergent Science Network of Biomedics and Biohybrid Systems, a project funded by the European 7th Research Framework Programme. For more interviews, recorded lectures, or upcoming conferences in the field of biomedics and biohybrid systems, go to csnnetwork.eu. And thank you for listening.